Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 2nd of December 2012, entitled The Glory of the Cross. And the Bible reading is taken from Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 to 15. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honour the reading of God's holy, precious, living word, which says in Galatians 6, 14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Father, thank you again this evening. Lord, as we think on the simple cross of Calvary, Lord, I pray that you would just take and, Lord, speak to our hearts, remind us of just what was accomplished for us as Christians there on Calvary. We give you the praise and thanks for it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. We talk about things a lot of times. We, we, we often use words. We talk about things being really glorious. And I guess when we think about things being glorious to us, there are a lot of things that could fit into that category. Hopefully, a lot of your family is glorious to you, your wife or your husband, uh, your children, your mom, your dad, uh, brothers, sisters. Uh, you know, the list could go on, but uh, uh, people hopefully would be uh, much more meaningful to us than the things in life. Uh, but there are a lot of things around us that we might, uh, uh, that we might think that uh, are really glorious to us, but... Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, here he makes this simple statement, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, only in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's kind of an odd statement when you stop and think about a cross. Uh, now, I mean, I know sometimes we have crosses that are really beautiful uh, and they're made up to look very beautiful. Matter of fact, if you go up in the fellowship hall, there's one laying on the floor that was given to us this week by a florist uh, over in near Coventry, by a family that's visited with us a couple times. And it's beautiful with the bamboo stick and the silk flowers and everything that's on it. And it's a great reminder. But, you know, the simple truth is, is that uh, there's nothing very pretty about the cross in its reality. Um, it was an instrument of torture. And it was not only an instrument of torture, it was an instrument that was used to put somebody in the greatest shame that they could possibly put them through when they crucified them upon that cross. The Bible says to the Jew that cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, hangeth upon that cross. Cursed is anyone uh, that would be uh, put into that kind of a place. Cicero said, Far be the cross, not only from the eyes and ears, but even from the thoughts of the Roman citizen. Uh, it wasn't even something to think about. And so we find that here the Apostle Paul is, is holding it in such high esteem that he says, you know, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And he goes on to give an explanation for in Christ Jesus, it's not circumcision that availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, a new creature, a new creation we sing about all the time. You know, it's not what we can do in these things, whether circumcision or uncircumcision, these outer things, is something that has to be made new from the inside. And it's only because of the cross that that is possible. You know, the wood and stick that the cross is made out of, it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. That's not what he's talking about. But the fact that the Son of God, God incarnate, came and died on that to make us free, to forgive us our sins, that makes that cross forever glorious to the Christian because of what it represents. Paul certainly had not always thought of the cross as being something glorious. 
I mean, this was the guy that hated the church, and he hated anything related to, uh, to Christianity and this one called uh, Christ. Uh, he was the one that went around persecuting the church. Uh, he was the one that wanted to stamp out Christianity. You couldn't have found a much worse enemy of the cross and the Christian and the church than the Apostle Paul until that road on the Damascus Road. <laughs> He had no idea what was going to happen that day. You know, that's usually the way when God comes into our life. He doesn't come the way that we expect him to or the place that we expect him to, but he meets us where we are when we need him. Each and every one of us, we could go around this congregation this evening and each and every one of our testimonies would be different. Where God intersected our lives just as he did the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus that day. And the simple truth is, is that the cross and what it represents is never the same after that day. When we stop to begin to comprehend all that it means to each and every one of us, we think of he that hung upon that cross on our behalf. You know, the meaning of things can change for all of us. Um, I can recall reading a story about, you know, a simple illustration of a watch that is in the jewelry store window. And it can be a cheap watch or it could be an expensive watch, but it's just, uh, it's just another watch that's laying there. Man would place a value upon that watch. And somebody may or may not be willing to pay the price of what they think that the value of that watch is. But to most of those people passing by, it's just another watch. But for each and every one of us here today, if we stopped and thought about that, that same watch, instead of just being a watch that laid in the jewelry window, or maybe as a ring, and maybe in man's eyes it was nothing fancy. I mean, that there is just a plain, simple wedding band. And it wouldn't cost a whole lot to go out and to, uh, and, 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 and to purchase a band like that. But you take that same watch out of that window, and, and maybe, maybe as a watch that was purchased for for your dad, for your mom, someone that was dear to you, and then they left this world. Is that watch worth the same thing after that? <laughs> no. Just like that cheap band that uh, is maybe laying in that window of that jewelry store and maybe man's value upon it may not be a whole lot. But when it's the band that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so doubly tied up, I got one on each hand, amen. You can't miss it. <laughs> The fact is, is that uh, that band may not have been worth a whole lot as long as it was just a ring laying in that window. But when that ring represents the vows that you made at that altar to the one that you love, to the one that you want to spend the rest of your life with, suddenly that ring takes on a whole lot more value. I can tell you that some years back, you know, we, we live in a, in a city that, uh, of course, thievery and robbery and things like that don't happen often, do they? Um, but they do happen sometimes. And we happen to live in one of those really, really nice areas of, of, of the city where that, uh, you know, there was a spell where I think it was a, a, at least once a year for several years that our home would get broke into. And you know when it would get broke into? It would get broke into on Sunday night while we were at church. Simple truth is it didn't take people long to figure out. We were always out on Sunday nights. Uh, we were always away. And ironically, a number of those times it happened when folks like the Kisslers were visiting with us and there were other people in the house that it was obvious that there was more chance of uh, valuable things being there and whatnot. And we had a lot of different things stolen over the year. Uh, one of the things that was stolen on one of the break-ins, of course, uh, my wife usually wore her wedding band and her engagement ring both on her hands. But on one of those occasions, she had removed her her engagement ring and, and laid it off. And that just happened to be the night we got broke into. And, uh, and that just happened to be something that they stole while they were there. Um, well, you know, the thing was is that that ring was special for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, not just because I picked it out, uh, but because of what it represented when I gave it to her. And, uh, and you know, for years I looked at number one, every time I saw anything that even resembled it, I just honestly didn't have the money and couldn't afford it. Uh, and I saw many, many, many rings out there. But, uh, but, you know, to me, it was special, not just because of that one, because of what it was, but I wanted one as close to that as possible. 
And, uh, and it wasn't until last year, quite a few years passed before that I was able finally to replace that ring with one that looked almost like the, the original one anyway. Uh, one of those break-ins, I had a little inexpensive pouch uh, that had some things there that, uh, you know, to the average person, they would have been absolutely just worthless junk. Uh, but they were stolen in, in one of those break-ins. The truth was is that there was not much monetary value there, nothing that's worth claiming back on the insurance or, or anything like that. Uh, but yet the things that were in there were the personal things uh, that I had, uh, uh, the decorations that I'd won when I was serving in the military. Those, those medals meant something to me. They were worthless to anybody else. They had absolutely, you know, no value whatsoever to them. Uh, those things could never be replaced. The value that was there was there because of what they meant to me personally. Uh, the same thing, as I mentioned, that watch and that ring. You know, there's uh, things that uh, are in my library upstairs that those books wouldn't be worth a whole lot in value to the average person that wanted those commentaries. And yet, there are sets of commentaries there that because that they were the first commentaries that my grandfather had when he started preaching. And another set of commentaries that was the commentaries that my other grandfather got when he started preaching. And the commentaries that were passed down from my dad to me. You see, those, those books are irreplaceable. Uh, matter of fact, they're probably worth less now because you can go online and you can find most of these things for far less money than what was paid out for, for that whole row of books when they were bought new. But, uh, but you know, to me, they're priceless. I can't think, you know, of, of, of anybody that could offer me anything that would replace those because of not just the material that's written on those pages, but because of what they mean. I say all that to say there are special things. You may have special things to you. Matter of fact, uh, Brother Dave was telling me the story uh, uh, the other day uh, about, and I, I, know, I know that uh, to British people that... that uh, that guns can have a different meaning than to most of us uh, uh, Americans. Um, but uh, he had a, a rifle uh, that I think he said it was something like 20-some years ago that, uh, that was passed down uh, from, uh, it was your wife's dad, right? Her, grand, his, her grandfather, not her dad. And, uh, and this was something that had belonged to him, and it was passed down. And, and of course, it had very special value. Now, you know, Sherry had a brother that had served many, many years in the military and retired from the military. Um, Dave had a very special moment just uh, uh, Thanksgiving Day when he was able to, uh, to present that gun uh, to his brother-in-law, which didn't even know it existed. He didn't know that his grandfather's gun was there. He certainly didn't know that Dave had it and that Dave had kept it all these years and that Dave wanted to pass it on to him. And, uh, and of course, you know, again, words couldn't express what that meant to his brother-in-law uh, to receive something that belonged to his granddad that he had no earthly idea uh, was even in existence, let alone that it was going to come to him. Things have value for all kinds of reasons, but the greatest values are not because of the materials they're made out of. The value of the cross is not because of the wood that it was made from. The value of the cross is not because of the value that men, as a matter of fact, what we have to grasp and understand is in man's eyes, it was a horrible thing. It was a, a terrible thing. But just as the Apostle Paul, the man that wanted to stamp out Christianity, suddenly he's the one that says these words, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why was the cross so precious to him? And why is that emblem of the cross so precious to you and I today? I want to give you three things. First of all, the glory of the cross is found in the fact that the cross is glorious in its provisions, in what it provided for us, not what it was in and of itself, but what was provided for you and I upon that cross. You see, it's the cross that reveals the depths of man's sin and the price that Jesus Christ was willing to pay for that sin. We've talked about this sometimes recently. I mean, originally God created this world. There was no sin, but that fall in the garden came and the horrible consequences that came because when sin came, death entered with it. 
We've talked about how that, that, that sin has then been passed on to every human being since. We talked about the consequences of that sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the cross really is the supreme expression of man's sin. We find that it was there on Calvary that sin reached its greatest climax when God was willing to become sin upon that cross to die on our behalves. Of course, we deserve the punishment, but Jesus didn't. The cross reveals the depths of man's sin, but it also reveals the character of God's justice. Why did God let Jesus die on that cross? We know that he had all the power of the universe to prevent that act from happening. We know that God could himself, because he was God, he was the one that could make the plan for mine and your salvation. But you see, there was only one price that could be paid. And because of our failures and our failings, there was no one else. There was absolutely no other person that could have hung upon that cross except Jesus Christ to pay for our sins. Thank God the propitiation not for our sins only, John said, but for the sins of the whole world. He paid that, that ultimate price. We find that, you know, God always, he never has to stop and wonder what's right and what's wrong. Uh, we talked about something. It's, it's hard for us to draw the lines sometimes. We talked in Bible study in Sunday school time this morning about being able to know truth and error, being able to, to know the difference in what's truth and what's wrong. We find that God always sees the difference. He always knows the difference. We find that it was there on the cross of Calvary that it was revealed to us not only what was necessary, death for our sins, but the character of God in being willing to take our place. We find that, I remember reading a story about a child whose father was killed in, in, in war, in battle. And another soldier took that child and he raised him as his own. One day that little boy came out with some vulgar words out of his mouth that he should not have been using. And this soldier that had taken him in, he obviously had done it thinking he could do the right thing and wanting, he began to laugh because of what the little boy had done. And as soon as he began to laugh, the little boy began to cry. And the guy's trying to figure out, what's, what's, what's wrong with this? And he says, well, my real dad loved me enough that if I'd said that, he would have punished me. <laughs> he would have corrected me. You know, the fact is, is that, you know, God's not there to let us get away. He can't let us just get away. He loves us enough that he's willing to do what is necessary. And he loved us enough that he was willing to send his son. God cannot let sin go unpunished. We don't begin to grasp the horribleness of sin and, and, and all of its consequences. But as we look at the cross, we see a God of principle, a God of justice, that the only way that he could forgive us and be just in doing so was to pay for that sin himself on our behalf. So the cross, the cross is glorious because of what it reveals in the, uh, the depths of our sin and the character of God and his justice. And of course, the height of God's love. <laughs> I mean, wow. It shows not only how deep we sin but just how far God was willing to go because that he loved us so much. You know, it wasn't just a, a natural love like you and I know. It was a supernatural love. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 20 says, Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be everything that God required for that sin to be paid for. You see, there's one question that you'll never find anywhere in the Word of God. You'll never find God's love in question. You'll never question, you'll never find a question in the Bible as to whether God loves us. The only question is our love for Him. Never, ever His love for us. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've come from. You know, the amazing thing is just, just like the prodigal son. Even when we, as his children, fail him so miserably, there's never a question as to whether God loves them. There's never a question as to whether God is there waiting with outstretched arms, ready to welcome them back. You see, I remember Peter. You know, it was an amazing, amazing thing when we look at Peter and he was that one that always was willing just to speak without thinking, to open mouth and insert foot, and he did it wonderfully so many times. But we find that in the Scripture, isn't it amazing that here's this apostle that's always messing up and getting things wrong. Here's the apostle that when it came to the crunch, of course, the others did the same, but, you know, no way, Lord. I'd never deny you. No way in the world. The rest of them might do it, but not me. And yet when that cock crowed, you know, Bible tells Jesus didn't say a word to him. He just looked at him. Just looked over at him. The Bible says that Peter began to weep. The simple truth is Jesus didn't quit loving him. And Peter knew that. <laughs> man, had he just messed up. I mean, man. He was bent and determined not to be identified with Jesus. And yet he looked over and Jesus looked at him. He knew. He knew. Isn't it an amazing thing that that same guy, <laughs> that same guy that messed up so many times, there he was on the day of Pentecost, <laughs> that Jesus used him to preach that sermon, that first sermon on the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 souls come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing when we begin to think of it and God's love, uh, his love for us is just part of who he is. It's part of his being. He loves us implicitly. Uh, you know, I guess that uh, we read a lot of things about a lot of people and one of the things that astounded me one time is a, a story because you know the Bible knows that, you know that, Unfaithfulness is one of the hardest things in all the world to get through. Uh, even when it comes to husbands and wives that have come together forever to be one. You know, it's, it's that one time in the Scripture when, not that God doesn't want them to forgive, but he knows that, boy, sometimes when that's been broken, uh, that it's impossible to get past. Yet we look at Christians and our unfaithfulness to him and he's always there, and he's always ready. But I remember, I remember reading a story, and, and, and it quite astonished me because, you know, sometimes love can do some amazing things. And it was a little story about a, a husband and wife that uh, uh, he had been unfaithful to her. And they'd come back, and, and, and they had gotten back together, and uh, they'd, they'd uh, repented, and they'd, they'd, they'd prayed, and they and they'd thought about all these things. And, uh, uh, and the amazing thing was that... Uh, his greatest worry was whether or not that she was going to be able to forgive him. Uh, I don't remember all the, the, the ins and outs of the, of the account, but I remember that the thing that took him back the most was when he sought her forgiveness and when he went to the Lord to pray. Uh, she wanted to go with him because uh, she said, don't you understand that uh, when you failed, I failed. Uh, one can't do it without the other. Uh, her love for him was such that, uh, you know, she not only wanted to forgive him, she wanted to be with him when he got things right with, with God. Um, we get little glimpses of, of, of love, and it's, and it's a hard thing for us to define. 
But all I'm wanting to remind you this evening is, folks, when we look at the cross, it's not that wood. It's not that structure. That's meaningless. We sing about the cross. We talk about the cross. And certainly, when in Scripture it's declared to have such glory, it's not talking about the structure. It's talking about what that cross represents. When we look at a cross, what does it represent to us? Boy, it's meaning change for the Apostle Paul. God forbid that I should glory in anything except the cross. You know, the simple truth is, is that the cross, the glory of the cross is in what it provides for each and every one of us. Much more could be said there, but let me give you the, uh, uh, the second thing this evening is just to remind you that the glory of the cross comes in the fact that uh, the cross is not only glorious in its provision, but folks, it is glorious in its power. The cross, the cross has the power to draw men to the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher, what are you talking about? Well, notice what the Gospel of John and chapter 12, notice what it says there in verse 32 and 33. John chapter 12, verse 32 and 33. We find these words. It says, Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. You see, when we see the cross and we think of, yes, it reveals to us our sin, God's character, God's love. The list could go on. It reveals to us so much about God and ourselves, but it also reveals to us the power. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if I die on the cross, then I'll draw. I mean, do you realize that no man could be drawn to God were it not for Jesus dying upon that cross? Jesus had to be lifted up. That's how he brought men to the Father. That's how he could draw men to God because he was willing to go there and to die in our stead. We find that the artist can take and he can draw many things. And he can try to represent many different things in this world. But it always falls short of that which it really represents. And the thing is, that's, that's the same thing when we look and we try, we get these symbols and we get these things that we look to Jesus Christ. No, they'll never show us the reality, but it can show us the semblance. It can take us there to a, to a point. It's amazing when you think of the cross. Jesus talking about drawing all men into himself. You begin to think of all the people that have been drawn to Jesus by that cross. All walks of life. All statuses in life. All different colors. All different levels of education and wealth. And yet, that same man dying upon that cross is able to draw them unto himself. We find that the reality is, is that, do you notice in that that Jesus said, I will draw all men to myself? I'll draw all men. You say, well, all people aren't saved. No, the truth is, is that everybody that's brought to the cross don't accept what took place there. People can intellectually know all about it. They can know the story. They can tell you all about Jesus and, and what he did and know all of these facts, everything. But the simple truth, they don't all accept. They don't all believe. They don't all trust in what took place there on that cross of Calvary. But the truth is, is that the sacrifice was sufficient. What took place on that cross, the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world. Not God's will that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. We find that the cross has the power to save. 
all that will come. Paul had to come to the cross. <laughs> Paul had to come to the point of what Jesus Christ had accomplished for him. He was out trying to destroy Christianity. But boy, what took place on Calvary? And what took place in his life when he accepted that Christ had died for him? Boy, his attitude changed. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look back and, and all through the Scripture we see, you know, we don't have time to go through them all, but uh, look at Mary Magdalene. <laughs> you know, she was not a woman with a good reputation, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and yet, Jesus drew her unto himself. What about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? I mean, the one that had five husbands and was shacked up with another one. Well, Jesus Christ drew her unto himself. Remember the story, have any of you ever heard the preacher of bygone years by the name of Mel Trotter? Mel Trotter was a well, well-known preacher. And you can find many of messages and many, uh, many uh, books and things that are out there by him. Mel Trotter was about as bad a drunkard as there ever was on this earth. I mean, he had a serious, serious drinking problem. And Mel Trotter, after being a drunk all these years, they had a baby born, and, and, and this child died in childbirth. And he was so broken by that incident that when that baby died, he promised that he would never, ever drink again because of what had gone on. But that promise was soon broken when he went out that same baby that had died. He went out and sold that baby's shoes in order to buy himself another drink. I mean, he was at the bottom. He was in most people's eyes. I mean, we, we see people like this. And we think that, you know, there's just so many times there's no hope for them. Many times we've seen them try and try and try over and over and over again and go right back to the bottle. Well, we find that Mel Trotter, he went on a walk one day. Not too far from your part of the world, Dave. He was headed to Lake Michigan to, to literally to commit suicide. He was going there to throw himself in. And as he was walking down the road, he happened to walk by a Christian mission. And there was somebody there that just literally stretched their arm out, took him by the hand, and began to talk to him. That person began to tell him about Jesus. Here's this man that's going off to end it all. He knows, man, he has tried and he's tried and he's tried. His life is in the gutter. He can't do anything about it. But that night, he got saved. And that man was never the same again. Mel Trotter went on to lead hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. We could tell the story over and over again. We could tell the story of how a, 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 a shoe salesman <laughs> became one of the greatest evangelists of his day. We could tell the stories of person after person. I think uh, uh, Brother Malcolm showed me the thing this morning where that, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've read it a number of times in different places about that snowy day when this young lad went into this Methodist chapel and nobody turned up because the weather was so bad. There was the preacher and one person there that day. Well, it would have been really easy to say, well, this isn't worth it. Let's just go home. But instead, he preached that day. And he preached that simple message of coming to me. <laughs> Do you know what? That young lad was saved that day. That young lad's name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And how many came to know the Lord? Just because of that one person's life that was changed. Everybody, I said earlier, everybody's testimony is different, and yet you are unique to God. The cross means something special to you because of what God did in your life, not because of some wooden structure that was nailed together and put there on that hill, but because of him that hung upon that structure, that structure and what it represents to you and I. You see, 
What makes the difference is not because it's just any cross, but because it's the cross of Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. Over and over and over again, he'll draw all men into himself. The cross has the power. It has the power, the power to draw men to Christ, the power to save men once he draws them there, and the power to mold men's character. I'll tell you what, you leave us to, it, to ourselves, and if you'll be honest, we're a pretty lousy lot most of the time. Jesus Christ is what makes the difference. We find that God finds a miserable character, sometimes the most miserable characters that walk on the face of the earth. And he can make that person into the beauty of holiness because the Christ is within. Michelangelo found a, a block of discarded marble that had been thrown away. I mean, it was, this was something that was worthless. It had no value. It had been canned with his skillful hand. That piece of black thrown away marble was turned into the statue of King David that who could imagine what the value of that is now. You see, God can mold us. We can be a worthless nothing that people would just toss on the rubbish heap. But the hand of God can take and, and mold us into something different. And then God uses that one that he molds as he takes and he works in your life, and he works in my life. We sing that song sometimes, you are the potter, I am the clay. Well, God wants to mold us, and then to take that one that has been molded and use him to reach others, that others could be drawn to the cross of Christ. The cross has power, the power to literally change lives, to draw men to Christ, to save those men, to mold their character. You know, the cross has the power to send people all over the world. We could look at many stories this evening, the way that God has worked in the lives of so many. You know, you can go into Westminster Abbey today and you can find the Marker there in the floor where lies David Livingston. <laughs> you can go around the different parts of this country and you can find memorials to those that because of the cross of Calvary and what God had done in their lives, they then gave themselves totally, wholeheartedly, unreservedly to reach others because of the cross of Calvary, not because of any financial gain that it would bring to them, not because of any position that it might give them in men's eyes. Many of those men were already much more successful in their own right. They would probably have been better known by men. But God, because of the cross, the glory of the cross was that that cross had drew them to Christ, where Christ had saved them, where then their lives had been molded into something that God could use in order that he could send them out to be used to draw others. That's, that's the power of the cross, folks. So we find that the glory of the cross lies not in what it is and its value to mankind and, and what it's made of, but the glory of the cross lies in the provisions that it makes. It's glorious in its provisions. It's glorious in its power. I want to give you one final thought that I hope can be an encouragement to you this evening. The cross is glorious in its promise. It's glorious in what it promises. What it promises for each and every one that will put their faith and trust in that Christ. It's promised for the future, for what's, for what's before us. Jesus said, oh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go 
to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. That's the promise of Jesus Christ himself. That's the promise that's made possible only because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ dying upon that cross and accomplishing what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves. That same Jesus He's the one that said, I am the door. I am the door. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He's the only way. Men men have always tried to find other ways. There are religions by just about any group and any uh, name that you want to find out there that through the centuries that have tried to find other ways to get to God. Jesus said, I'm the door. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You see, he is the entrance to heaven. (laughs) There is no other way to get into that place. But that is the promise of the cross. That's the glory of the cross. Not the wood it was made of, not who made it, but him that hung upon it. The glory of the cross. It's our hope. Our hope centers totally, completely upon Jesus. You know, what's what's today? I guess it's the the, the 14th. We've got some tickets to to go to the theater to see a a, a Christmas show with the family. You know, the simple truth is, is that there laying on my desk, there's a, a little envelope that inside of that, it's got these tickets. Now, I could go down there and I could tell them all I wanted to till I was blue in the face that, yes, I've paid and I've done everything that's necessary. I want to go in and see this show. But you know what they're going to want to see? They're going to want to see that ticket. (laughs) They're going to want to see that ticket. Folks, I'm telling you, people can try to get into heaven and they can come up with all the excuses and they've done this and they've paid that and they've accomplished this and they've accomplished that. But when it comes down to it, there's only one ticket that's going to get them in. And that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. But that is the glory of the cross. That's why that the apostle Paul could say, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the glory of that cross is in its provision. The glory of that cross is in its power. And the glory of that cross is in his promise. You know, we can live in all kinds of structures down here. And I've lived in a lot of different ones, and I've put my wife in a lot of different ones, and some have been small, and some have been big, and some have been old, and some have been newer, and all kinds of different structures. But you know, those structures aren't what makes a home. The structures have nothing to do with what makes a home. (laughs) There's people that live into what man might think are glorious structures. But yet that which was within, there's no glory whatsoever. You see, it's the love that's within that home that makes a home. And folks, I told you this was one of the things that amazed me when we came back from from, from Kenya last year. And I see these people and I see the conditions they live in and I saw not what they it's, you, you want to say what they have, but it's what they don't have. How little that they have. And yet, such a love for the Lord. Such a desire for the Lord. A desire to love and satisfied and happy and content. And it seems like that we live in our world and <laughs> it's mostly complaints. <laughs> We don't have this. We don't have that. It's not as nice as so-and-so's. It's not this. It's not up to this standard. It's not the things that are going to make us happy. And you know what? (laughs) Heaven is going to be a glorious place. I mean, we we have a little bit of a description in the Bible. And I mean, you know, I I try to imagine. I mean, you know, what was it in in the news this week where uh, some fishing boat was robbed with some however many million dollars worth of gold that was in this fishing boat and whatnot, all these gold bars that were taken away. Gold's a pretty valuable commodity in our world. 
But I read about a place where, man, that's what they tarmac the roads with. You know? That's what the roads are made of. That's what we're going to walk on. You know? These jewels that the gates are made of. I'm saying, you know, it's not that, it's not that, that heaven's going to be a shanty town by any stretch of the imagination. But folks, that's not what's going to make it great. It's the same thing that makes a home down here. It's because of that one that hung upon the cross for us. It's because of being with him. That's what's going to make heaven great. That's what's going to make it perfect. Heaven. And you know what? I'm going to be there. Because I have had a personal invitation and I have a personal ticket that's been given to me and signed in the blood of Jesus Christ himself that's going to get me access. I remember reading the story. I know that maybe you haven't heard of all the names I mentioned. Everybody's heard of D.L. Moody for sure, right? D.L. Moody was holding a citywide campaign in the city of Boston, Massachusetts one time. And like with many of the meetings that D.L. Moody had, I mean, you know, the crowds came and the crowds came. And, and that night, this place was to capacity, and they couldn't let anybody else in. Understand that the governor of the state of Massachusetts actually turned up at the door and was turned away because there simply was no more room. But then there was another guy that turned up at that door, and his name was George. And when George got there and they said, sorry, nobody else can come in, you know what George said? He said, well, would you allow me, would you please just tell Mr. Moody that George is here? I thought the guy was a bit wacky, but he went up and he told Mr. Moody that somebody at the door named George was wanting to see him. Dwight Moody went back to the door himself. He welcomed this guy in. He gave him a big hug. He was his brother. He was Dwight L. Moody's brother. His name was George. And you know what? He walked George right down the aisles and right up onto the platform and set him down right there beside of where he was sitting before he got up there to preach. You see, the place might have been filled, but George was related. George was able to get in because of who he knew. Folks, I'm telling you, heaven's not too crowded when Jesus is the one that you know. When Jesus is the one that'll be there for you. And it's waiting for us. And you see, that's the thing that makes it special. And that's what I believe that the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us here. There's a place in heaven for us. But you do have to have reservations. You can't just turn up on the day and hope to do what's necessary. But the invitation has been sent. You've just got to receive it. You've got to accept it. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Him that will cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I just wanted to remind you this evening. The Apostle Paul says very simply here, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing about me to glory in. Suddenly, all those things that were important before, I mean, this guy had some education. He had had some of the best of his day, and he had position. He had a, certainly a fair amount of power to be able to accomplish the things he was in trying to destroy the church. But what did he say? <laughs> I can't glory in anything except save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, a new creation. All oh, this evening, you and I, God forbid, May we join with the Apostle Paul, God forbid, that we glory in anything save the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why that glory so? I'm sure you can come up with some other things. These are just a few simple thoughts that the Lord brought to my heart and mind. The glory of the cross is not in its structure. 
It's not in what it was made of. It's not even in where it was at. It's in who that was upon it. The glory of the cross is in its provisions. What it provided for each and every one of us. The glory of the cross is in its power. And that which it could accomplish, which nothing else in the world could accomplish. The glory of the cross is in his promise. You know, it doesn't really matter. This world, I'll tell you what, it's passing by a whole lot faster than I thought it was going to. This world is short, and it's very temporal. But folks, the promise of the cross is eternal. The promise of what Jesus Christ has done for us is forever. But that promise, that promise is only good because of the cross. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, for these simple thoughts as we've looked at the glorious cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of that cross. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this evening not to glory in who we are and what we are and what we've done and what we can do and any of these things. But, Lord, let us glory in the cross of our Savior. Let us glory in what he has accomplished for us. Let us be one of those, Lord, where that you've been able to take and not only draw us into yourself and and to save us, but then to take and mold us into what you would have us to do and to send us out to serve you that others might see Christ through us. Oh, Lord, let that be the case. Help us, Lord. Help us to quit glorying in the things of this world. Help us to glory the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.